The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. We looked at the parables in Luke chapter 14 last week, and so we're going to pick up with the Gospel of Luke into chapter 15 this week. And here in Luke chapter 15, we see what Jesus thinks of the lost. We see the way that Jesus views the lost. And so the point of the text that we're going to look at this, this week as we walk through this is, is I, I want you to ask the question to yourself that the text causes you to ask. So the question I want you to ask this morning is, what do I think of the lost? What do I think of the lost? And the secondary question is, what would keep me from viewing the lost the way that Jesus views the lost? So let me give those to you again. The question that the text is, is begging is us to ask ourselves is, what do I think of the lost? And what would keep me from viewing the lost the way that Jesus does? Now, when I say the lost, what I mean by that is, is people that, that society would look at and, and oftentimes maybe think, oh, those are sinful people. Those are wicked people. Those are terrible people. People that, that have walked a different path than wisdom. And so that's what we're going to see here is what Jesus views, how Jesus views the lost. If you would pray with me. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes and open our ears to hear from you, to see what your word has for us today. Lord, would you give us a heart to understand? Would you give us the desire to know you better, to follow your ways, Lord, to, to grow in our walk with you? Lord, would you meet with us this morning? God, would you speak to us through your word that we might know you better? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So to start out this this parable, we've just finished 14 where Jesus has sent all of these smart bombs. And he sent these smart bombs to these precise locations through through what we call parables, this genre of parables. And so he sends these smart bombs in and they hit the precise location that he desires, but they go just below the surface to the issues of our heart. And so again, what we're going to see here is is Jesus is going to tell three illustrations, but it's really all one parable. And so what he's going to do is he's going to unpack this view of the Pharisees, the way that they view lost, and Jesus, the way he views the lost. And so we'll see these two groups. So to begin, what we see is that Jesus is sitting with this really, really interesting group of people. Imagine it like this. You've got all of the parolees in Caddo Parish. Okay, All of the parolees have, have heard Jesus is around, and so they've all come to hear him. And then you've got this other group over here, not necessarily this group here, but you've got this other group that's, that's the churchiest people in Shreveport. You know, the ones that like keep their own Sunday school attendance records, the ones that never drink out of a red solo cup. You've got the churchy people, okay? And so you've got these two groups that have, that have come together, which is just this really strange meeting. And what happens is, is you see these churchy people begin to grumble. And they begin to look at these parolees and they're like, you know what he did? You know what they do? You know how bad they are? 
And so Jesus hears them and he hears them grumble. And so look at the text where I get this from. It's in verse 1 and 2. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Can you hear the the grumbling in their voice? This man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus responds to the church choir's grumbling with an aerial attack like we saw last week. So read with me in verse 4 as we see the beginning of this this aerial attack. Look at verse 4. Jesus responds this way. He says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now for us, this illustration may seem uncommon. It may seem out of place for us because I don't know that many of y'all are shepherds or own sheep. But we know enough about shepherds and we know enough about sheep that we can understand Jesus' point here. The question Jesus asks at the beginning, what shepherd, having lost a sheep, would not go and find it? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is every shepherd who loses a sheep goes to look for it. That's what a shepherd does, Right? The sheep is worth searching for. It's worth finding. Because what shepherd would return with 99% of his sheep? There's value in the lost sheep. The shepherd cares about every sheep, but particularly the lost sheep. So the lost sheep has value in and of itself worth seeking. And so the shepherd seeks it out until he finds it. But let me make it a little more modern. Think of it like this. A youth pastor takes a hundred kids to youth camp in Tennessee. This one hits a little close to home. Youth and sheep have a few similarities, right? They stink. They'll eat anything. And a lot of times they wander off. Right, Brayden? So, what youth pastor having lost one of his sheep, doesn't go and find it. Now, I can tell you, this youth pastor would not return home to Dana Graham having lost a sheep. Right? What youth pastor, what shepherd, having lost one of his sheep, doesn't go and search until he finds it? And upon finding it, let me tell you, there's much rejoicing. And he calls everyone to celebrate with him. You see, we can understand what Jesus is saying here. But let's look at his application at the end. Look at verse 7. Let me read it again. Jesus says, Just so, I tell you there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Jesus tells us that heaven rejoices over the repentance of the lost. In the same way that the shepherd rejoices over finding his lost sheep. 
Jesus loves the lost. And so then Jesus gives a second illustration. This illustration, then the percentage goes up and the value goes up. And so Jesus tells what many of us have heard, the parable of the lost coin. Let's look at what Jesus says in verses 8 through 10. He says, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Again, Jesus' question assumes the answer. He says, what woman having lost a silver coin isn't going to go and find it? Now, we've all experienced what this woman is experiencing. We can relate. We know what she's going through. There's a piece of the whole that is missing. And until the piece is found, then she's going to search. This rings true in our household with puzzles. Some of you guys can relate. With a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a one-year-old, then, then it doesn't matter if there's a thousand-piece puzzle or a ten-piece puzzle. There's always one piece missing, right? So what happens when the piece is missing when you get to the end and there's one piece left? What happens? First, it starts with an interrogation of the children, right? And then an interrogation of my wife. And then the sweeping under the couch, the flipping the couch cushions, and finally it culminates in the plunge into the abyss that is the side of the recliner, right? You guys are with me? And you find the Cheerios, the bobby pins, the pennies, and the puzzle piece, right? We all can relate to what this woman is going through, that she is missing a piece of the whole, and until it's found, then it's this nagging sense of something's not right. We've been there with car keys, with cell phones, with the TV remote. We all have been there of there's something nagging about it being missing. And so the search is on until we find it. But what's Jesus' point? Again, he tells us that just as this woman rejoices and celebrates over seeking and finding that which was lost, the angels celebrate over lost sinners being found. So we see these first two that, that Jesus loves the lost and their celebration over the lost being found. And then we get to this third illustration. Many of us know it as the prodigal son. Many of us have heard this story before. So let me give you a warning. Don't let its familiarity make you callous to what it says. Look with me as we, as we see here. Jesus is, is specifically telling this parable. And he increases in detail. He increases in length. And he increases in value and percentage. As he culminates his point right here. Notice with me the depravity of the prodigal son. We'll begin in verse 11. Verse 11 says this, And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. And he began to be in need. 
So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one would give him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. The prodigal son here has broken every social ethic imaginable. So let me put it in modern terms to help us grasp what really went on here. A man had two sons. The younger came to him and said, Father, Dad, I want you to liquidate all of your assets and I want you to give me what I would get when you die. Because I'd rather have my stuff now than have to wait for you to die. He basically is telling his father, I wish you were dead so that I could have your stuff. And shockingly, the father does it. He gives him what he asked for. And so the son, he takes off and he goes to New York City. And he moves into a flat overlooking the Hudson in the Chelsea district. And he begins to live the life of the rich and the famous. And then when the money runs out and he's evicted from his flat, then he finds himself at a convenience store asking for work, begging for a job, sleeping on the park bench in the back. And one day while he's taking out the trash and cleaning the bathrooms, he looks into the trash can in the bathroom and he sees a half-eaten burrito. And the hunger pains that he has overwhelm him to where he desires to eat the burrito. Can you see the picture of what's going on here? Jesus is painting this picture of this incredible depravity and where depravity and sin leads to. And he's painting this picture of what lostness looks like. And so the son, in that moment, he thinks, man, what am I doing? employees eat better than this. My dad's employees are always taken care of. And so you see him walk out of the store that day rehearsing these lines. Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And then in the story, the illustration that Jesus gives, we pick up in verse 20. Look at it with me. We pick up the story here in, in The son is walking up the long driveway to the house. But notice in this section, the father's overwhelming love. Verse 20 says this, And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he felt compassion. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, as if not even hearing what his son has said, he says to his servant, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost 
and is found. And they begin to celebrate. It's not the response that one might expect, right? Rather than being met with scorn and I told you so's, the son is met with open arms, with overwhelming love. The son doesn't deserve this grace. For many today, this isn't the first time you've heard this story. And so the familiarity of it, oftentimes we miss all of the different elements of the father's love that we see. So let me go back and remind you of the overwhelming love that we see here. The extravagant love that we see here. First, we see that the father never stopped looking for his son. Do you notice in the text it says, while the son was still far off, the father saw him. The father never stopped looking. He never stopped waiting for the son. The father's first emotion was compassion for his son. It wasn't, oh, here he comes. I bet he wants more money. It was compassion. The father ran to the son. He forsook all of the social norms of the day that that wise men, social elite don't run. He forsook the social norms and he ran to the son. The father had the best robe put on the son. The father had a ring put on the son, signifying that he's mine. The father had shoes put on his feet. The father had a fattened calf butchered for the son. And the father celebrated the son being found. The depravity of the prodigal is engulfed by the overwhelming, extravagant love of the father. But in many children's Bibles or things like that, the story ends here, but it doesn't. Jesus doesn't stop the story here. And so he has a special point that he's making in this last section. Let's see what he says. Verse 25, what we're going to see in this section is the self-righteousness of the older brother. Read it with me in verse 25. It says, now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and he asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf. Because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your commands. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate. But when this son of yours came... Who has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him. Son. You are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead. And is alive. He was lost. And is found. Notice the progression of the full parable. The sheep is lost. The sheep is found. There's rejoicing. The coin is lost. The coin is found. There's rejoicing. The younger son is lost. The son is found. There's rejoicing. But here the pattern breaks. The older son is lost too. Did you notice he's outside of the house? The father seeks him out. But the parable stops. We don't know the ending. 
This is the only parable that Jesus tells without a conclusion. We don't know if the son came back into the house. The son's outside of the house. The son is lost. And yet the father seeks him out. He entreats him to come in. You see, Jesus tells this parable because the Pharisees were just like this older son. Remember back to the very beginning? The church choir? They're the ones grumbling. This man sits and eats with sinners. This man shows grace to those who don't deserve it. And so Jesus is dropping the smart bomb on the hearts of the self-righteous. You see, Jesus seeks out the self-righteous. He seeks out the Pharisees who reject lost sinners and grumble because they view the lost from their place of self-righteousness. Just like the older brother, they thought, I did this, I did this, I did this. They thought it was because of what they had done that earned them the place with Jesus. So let me ask you the question from the beginning. How do you view lost sinners? Do you love those around you? Or do you sit in a place of judgment over them? You see, self-righteousness prevents us from loving the lost like Jesus does. Self-righteousness is an enemy to the gospel. But it's only through the gospel that we fight self-righteousness. A proper understanding of the gospel will lead us to celebrate what heaven celebrates. The celebration in heaven is not because of what the sheep has done. It's not because of what the coin has done. It's not because of what the prodigal son has done. The celebration is heaven in heaven is because of what the shepherd has done. It's because of what the woman has done. It's because of what the father has done. But we see in this last illustration that the prodigal son thought that there should be a celebration over what he had done. The older brother missed it. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says it like this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. The scriptures are clear. They tell us that we're all enemies of God. That we all, like sheep, go our own way. We all, like sheep, wander off following our own desires. We're no different than the most wicked person that you've ever seen or heard on television. The scriptures tell us that our self-righteous deeds are nothing but filthy rags. But the scriptures also tell us this. That God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's the gospel that puts us on a level playing field. Tim Keller said it like this. The gospel is this, that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared to believe. And yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared to hope. So let me ask again, what is it that keeps you from loving lost sinners the way Jesus does? Do you view the lost like Jesus does? You see, it's only through the gospel that we, will, that we will embrace this. It's only by understanding the gospel that we are allowed to, to love them the way Jesus does. 
Because we see them not from our tower of self-righteousness and deeds that we have done, but we see them from the place of grace, having received grace from the Father that we can extend grace to others. You see, Jesus put the two in opposition. He said, I love lost sinners and seek them. The self-righteous, they judge them. I pray that it's said of this church like it is so often. But I pray that it's said that of this church that, that they receive sinners and eat with them. I pray that the Lord continues to humble us with the truth of the gospel. That we're all sinners saved by grace. So let me ask you one more time. How do you view lost people? How do you view the lost around you in the place that God has placed you, surrounded by people who are more wicked than you, who are more depraved than you? How do you view them? Do you view them through the lens of your own deeds or do you view them through the lens of the grace of the Father? What's keeping you from loving them like Jesus does? You see, in a group like this, then there's, there's some of us who need the message to know that, like the prodigal son, that if we return to the Father, we're, we're going to be welcomed with open arms. That if you would return, that Jesus loves the lost. You need to hear that message. And for some of you, you need to know and you need to hear that Jesus still seeks after the self-righteous. He goes out of the house to seek out the self-righteous because they need to come in too. Let me pray for us. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.